Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to episode 227 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we are going to talk about a wild NBA draft lottery and the fallout that's going to come from uh, all the unexpected movement that we got last night. We're also going to continue with our Bye Felicia segment. We're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets and my beloved Philadelphia 76ers today. Before we get to all of that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today is not my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. He is still at work, and he is also mourning the demise of his <laughs> Chicago Bulls. So instead... <laughs> Instead, we brought on a special guest. Since we are talking about the Nuggets and the Sixers today, we figured who better to bring on than the Nuggets beat writer from Mile High Sports, TJ McBride. TJ, how's it going, man? I'm going. It's, it's going well. I may not be an, a stable genius. I'm more of an unstable psychopath, but we're going to see what happens <laughs> in this archetype, at least. That's good. I just figured both of us went through demoralizing Game 7 losses on Sunday, so we yes. could really just use this as a consolation corner. <laughs> At least we get some fun to talk about just this chaotic lottery. I was literally complaining before, like, I'm not going to watch this. I don't want to watch 25 minutes of nothing just to have names read off, basically. And then, of course, this happens to be the most chaotic lottery that I can remember in quite some time. Right, exactly. So, yeah, let's let's just dive right into the lottery because this is the first year the NBA flattened the odds. So it used to be, you know, the top team or the worst team had a 25% chance and it it was much it was weighted much more heavily toward the worst few teams. Also, you used to only be able to pick the first 3 picks with the lottery. This year is the first time where the lottery chooses the first 4. So, there was a lot more movement at the top than we've gotten in years past. Um, the Pelicans entered the night with a 6% chance to win the lottery. They moved to number one, which means they get the rights to Zion Williamson. Start your claims of the NBA is rigged because they're going to lose Anthony Davis. And this is now their <laughs> next their next chip that they're going to get. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies also took a big jump up. They were projected to be at eight starting the night. They ended up at number two, which we will talk about because that's there's some interesting ramifications there given... Uh, Mike Conley's uncertain future in Memphis. The Grizzlies, who entered the night, they were tied for a 14% chance, which was the best of any team. They go to number three. And then the Los Angeles Lakers, because <laughs> God uh. knows they can't go into a lottery without jumping up. They moved to number four. They were projected to be at number 11. So 
TJ, let's start with the Pelicans. Okay. Because, um, you know, Anthony Davis asks out in late January. The Pelicans don't move him at the time, in part because they want the Boston Celtics to get involved in the bidding, which they couldn't do uh, until July 1st because of a quirk in the collective bargaining agreement with the Rose Rule and Kyrie Irving. But they also wanted to see how the lottery shakes out. And the thinking was, well, at least let's see who gets the number one pick. You know, if the Knicks do, for instance, their offer gets that much better. If the Lakers get the number one pick, their offer gets that much better. And we can kind of, you know, use that information to get the full picture before we move Anthony Davis. Now the Pelicans have the number one pick. Now they don't need to trade for Zion because they're going to get Zion. Um, so, you know, the reports came out afterward that Davis still wants a trade. Uh, I think Sham Sharania, among others. But Ken Berger of Bleacher Report uh, had an article out that said, you know, David Griffin took this job saying he doesn't want to trade AD. Like he wants to convince AD to stay. So how do you think Zion coming to New Orleans or presumably coming to New Orleans? It's not official yet, but... How do you think that plays into how they approach their handling of AD this summer? Do you think he's more likely to stay now? Or at least do you think this changes what they're looking for in return for Anthony Davis? Well, I don't think anybody really knows what Anthony Davis himself wants, right? I mean, that's been as vague as it gets. Is this Rich Paul and all of Clutch Sports running all of this chaos? Or is he have his hands directly involved in trying to get out of New Orleans? So... How much does this actually change the equation? My thing is that it can only help. I don't know how mm -hmm. much it's going to help. Are we going from 3% to 7% that he stays? Or are we going from 5% to 15%? Those are very different numbers for me. So I do think that it does help. With that being said, though, the biggest winner of them getting uh, the first pick that isn't a player is going to be David Griffin because now all the leverage is in his court. Like He got mm -hmm. the blue chip recruit that he could not have gotten from any other team already in his lap with Anthony Davis still on the roster my question now is does David Griffin go from do we want to rebuild to do we want to retool we have Drew mm -hmm. Holiday we have Zion if we do trade Anthony Davis do we want to get a more veteran package of guys who can actually go out and potentially make the playoffs next year or get very close to help raise the level of this team or are we going to continue this full-scale rebuild and try and get more blue chip recruits now the options on the table are so much more plentiful than they once were. So for me, that just puts all of the leverage in New Orleans court. This, to me, tells me that there's no way Anthony Davis gets traded before the trade deadline. Like, this is not going to be a draft day trade anymore, in my opinion. Like Now you have all of the time to wait, and there's no reason not to wait. Let there be a bidding war that creates, because now, if you're just going to retool, you're going to have a lot more teams interested in trying to trade for Anthony Davis, because now you can start sending out veteran pieces bigger money guys and things like that you don't just need a blue chip recruit and draft picks to get in the room anymore so it's going to be so interesting how david griffin goes about what he wants for anthony davis now because i think that's what's really changed here yeah and i tweeted this last night but like it you know the nba thrives on this kind of off-season drama and really yeah. the draft could not have or the lottery could not have gone better for the nba in that regard because the Knicks and the Lakers are two of the teams that are known to be at least considering pursuing Davis. I mean, the Lakers were outright, you know, they annihilated their team chemistry <laughs> in the deadline. That does not mean they were getting anything out of this. But yes. Right, right. But, you know, they move from 11 to 4. So, like, this draft, is, by all accounts, is pretty shallow. You know, Zion is very clearly number one in a bullet. It seems like 
Um, John Morant and RJ Barrett are two and three in some order. And then there seems to be a drop off in terms of tier from those guys to number four, but still four is better than 11. Like you just can't argue that that pick gained value last night. The Knicks didn't win Zion, but they still have the number three pick, which means they're either getting Morant or Barrett there. So, you know, for, for two teams that are going to be in the Zion chase again, presumably this summer, that only strengthens their packages. Like New Orleans can now say, hey, maybe we, you know, depending on what Memphis does it too, if they take John Morant, RJ Barrett's there at three for the Knicks. Maybe we want RJ Barrett and Zion and Williamson to team back up. Like that, <laughs> right? Like that, that suddenly is an option for them. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It's, I, I don't know necessarily that they make a Davis trade by the debt or by the draft. But at least I think they're calling the Knicks and the Lakers and they're like, hey, at number three, here's who we like. Or at number four, here's who we like. Like, just in case. <laughs> so here's my question to you. And this was my thing. So like, yes, the Lakers jumped up. My whole take about that was this number four pick in the draft is not a normal number four pick in the draft. For me... Yeah. Pick number four and pick number 11, there's really not a whole lot of differentiation. I mean, you're talking DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver, Darius Garland, Cam Reddish, Sekou Domboya, Romeo Langford, Brandon Clark. These are all wings who have some skills and very clear issues. Like, there's not a whole lot of separation here. So, yes, the Lakers mathematically went seven spots higher, but their odds to actually create an Anthony Davis deal did not really go up for me. I don't know if there's a player at that point that is going to be impactful enough that all of a sudden the Lakers package is now appealing to them like I just don't see that and the same can be said for the Knicks unless of course New Orleans really 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 likes R.J. Barrett or for some reason Memphis decides to take R.J. Barrett instead of um, John Morant which that would be chaos if they just if Mm -hmm. if Memphis picks R.J. Barrett this all goes to complete chaos for the Knicks because now all of a sudden everyone's calling them for John Morant but they're sitting there with the third pick and no idea what they're going to be able to do with it I don't know that's going to be an interesting conversation but the Lakers their odds of being able to build a package did not increase that much for me and that's a very notable thing because it seems like the Lakers were big winners I don't think they were nearly as big of winners as we are making them out to be yeah I mean I agree with you because you're right there isn't a whole lot of separation between I've seen I think Sam Vecini tweeted out like his tiers of prospects and I think he had like four to 13 were all in the same tier yeah that's how like, I feel as well yeah, like there's not a consensus number four pro. Like I, mm-hmm. I've seen Culver, Garland, Hunter more in the four, five, six range than I have like a bull, bull or something like that. Yeah. But there's still a lot of time between now and the draft for that to change. Um, and also, I mean, you could say the Boston Celtics, who are also the at least thought to be the other primary suitor here, they're also winners in some regard because uh, since the Lakers jumped up. Had Memphis not jumped up, they would have fallen to nine, which means their pick would have gone gone to Boston. And Boston outright said, we do not want four first-round picks this year. We do not <laughs> want the number nine pick in a crappy draft. It's not going to help our offer that much. We'd much rather, you know, it's now it's still like the mystery box thing because yep. now it rolls over next year. It's the top six protected pick next year, completely unprotected in, in uh, 2021. So now you can at least dangle it as... You don't need to bring in, you know, depending on how many picks they include in a potential Davis offer, you don't need to bring in three or four rookies plus Zion this year. You can at least have, you can stagger those rookie contracts a little bit 
and you could still have what projects to be a mid to high lottery pick in 2020 or 2021. So really like all three of these teams, I think you could argue, I mean, the Knicks could not have banked on getting the number one pick. Like, yeah, I never got that. They had an 85% chance to fall out. That was kind of the whole point of this whole evening thing. Like the whole, like we were already putting Knicks jerseys on Zion Williamson for Bleacher Report was so crazy to me. 85% chance they were going to fall out of that pick. Right. So it's like they had the best odds for them were ending up at number five. So like, because going to number three is definitely a blow. It sucks that you're not going to get Zion, but your offer is still better than what it could have been in the worst case scenario. So I think you could argue that all three Davis offers got better last night, which goes back to what you're saying. Like now all of the leverage is in David Griffin's court here. David Griffin also is a magician. How has he won yeah. four lotteries? Like, the fact that we've gotten, what, like, 14 minutes on this show already? And, like, we haven't talked about the fact that David Griffin has a magic tie that allows him yeah. to win every lottery he is involved in. Like, this is spectacular. But I, th- I think the real big winners here are the other teams, like the Nuggets, like Philly, like Toronto, that if they really wanted to make this an interesting trade debacle, I guess, would be mm-hmm. to throw their names into this conversation now because like you said everybody's offer did get marginally better but no one's offer got so much bigger with a zion williamson that there's a clear favorite now so i do think that you're going to start seeing some of these teams that may be one piece away from actually contending like i would not be surprised if all of a sudden daryl morey finds some like black magic in the back of his room (laughs) and just finds a way to try and trade for anthony davis like these are the kind of options that are now back on the table and i can't wait to see how that plays out because i would not be surprised if Philly's like, here's Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris in the sign and trade. Like, let's start oh, talking. God. Like, there are a lot of ways that these things start to play out. And I think it's going to yeah. be so interesting. I mean, you know better than anybody. Elton Brand has not exactly been docile or stoic <laughs> in his first, you know, run as a GM here. So there's a lot of options on this table, man. The Nuggets could be like, here's Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. and two first round picks. Let's talk. Like, let's yeah. make this stuff happen. And those are real deals now that make a lot of sense because there are so many ways New Orleans can go from this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you said, more veteran options are now on the table for sure. Like, the Knicks, Lakers, and Celtics are the three presumed favorites for him. But Do you I still feel that way? Do you still feel well, like those are the favorites? I, I was about to say, I'm, I'm sure some there is going to be a dark horse team that jumps in. Like, yeah. maybe if Kawhi stays in Toronto... You offer Pascal Siakam plus whatever salary matching you need, like Siakam and Serge Ibaka or whatever. Um, or as you said, like Denver is a really intriguing option for like I I mean you have to balance it with is Anthony Davis going to resign here in 2020? What does he want? Is he going to force his way to L.A. regardless? But after seeing what's happened with the Lakers over the past year. I, that's a I big deal here now. That's a right. very big deal all of a sudden. Like, is Rich Paul – so now we're going to find out. Is Rich Paul pulling the strings here or is it Anthony Davis making his own decision on where he wants to go? Because we mm-hmm. have never had real clarity on that. And now with the Lakers organization as in as much turmoil and chaos as we can – remember them being and like i can't go back i grew up a lakers fan in los angeles i can't go back and remember a time where it was (laughs) this bad and because of that it's going to change the equation for anthony davis and his own decision making like do you really want to go to 
a situation where it's Frank Vogel and LeBron James <laughs> for two and a half more years if they last right. that long, and then hopefully that you're not the only one left there like Kevin Love was in Cleveland. Like I don't want that to happen to me. I'm trying to like really build something for once. So if you're actually going to try and build something here, the Lakers are becoming a less and less and less ideal option, which is. I, is his teams, his list of teams going to expand? Is that mm-hmm. going to be on the table all of a sudden? It's going to be I, – I can't get past the point that all of this has been flipped on its head now. Anthony yeah. Davis, all of the leverage they try to create no longer exists in any capacity. And yeah. I'm so curious how this is going to play out. That's the only thing. It's that unsolvable question that I keep just running through my head relentlessly. But – Man, this is just going to be so much fun. This just made me so much more excited for the offseason. Like, you know, we both had our teams that we watch and cover fall out, but this got me right back into the NBA like that, man. It was like no wait. So it's it's (laughs) wild all the way through. Uh, I'm totally with you there. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Uh, The other big winner of the night, I'd say are the Memphis Grizzlies, yes. who, again, they jump from projected to be eight, potential losing their pick, go up to number two, where, you know, again, I I don't see any way, unless, like, Zion Williamson has his leg amputated or something, <laughs> he's going to be the number one pick. So, sorry, Grizzlies, you, you're missing on Zion. But you get your choice of John Morant and R.J. Barrett. And, you know, given where the Grizzlies are, they got Jaron Jackson Jr. last year, who I think is going to be a future all-star, like franchise cornerstone type player. They s- traded Marcus Gasol at the deadline. They still have Mike Conley. Mike Conley has one more year, and then I believe he has an early termination option for 2020-2021. So do you take John Morant there as your heir apparent to Mike Conley, and then do you shop Mike Conley this summer? Or do you take R.J. Barrett there, and then have a Conley, Barrett, Jaron Jackson try to get back in the playoffs and see what happens with Conley in 2020. For me, I say this is specifically because they're in the Western Conference, because at this point you're playing for maybe one first-round series victory if you even get that far. For me, I'm picking John Morant. I'm going to see how he meshes with Conley, because there is a situation where, I mean, you just have John Morant playing better than Dylan Brooks or somebody like that, and you can just start them together for a little while. And if that happens, you have the right veteran leader around John Morant. You have Mike Mm -hmm. Conley, who is still going to be able to go to a contender at the trade deadline 
and bring back you know at least a first round pick for you to continue rebuilding this team. And on top of that, I don't want RJ Barrett and Jaron Jackson on the same team. I think RJ Barrett is way too much of a black hole to play with someone as smart as a Jaron Jackson. I would so much rather personally as a selfish basketball fan to see John Morant <laughs> there because that is just such a more fun team. I mean, yeah. some ridiculously high IQ, explosive players. I mean, you're talking about all of the athleticism on the court and the only thing you're going to worry about is of course the lack of shooting but that can work out in time i believe in jaron jackson's shot if, if jaron jackson can become a nikola jokic-esque shooter where he's a 36 to 38 percent shooter from deep can do it when he needs to it can get hot from there which we have seen happen before he had that 37 point game earlier in the season where he hit like six threes against denver he has that ability within him so for me i'm picking jaw and it really isn't close for me yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. I think I'm worried that the Grizzlies will tick Ja, and then I agree with you that they don't need to move him this summer. They could wait till the trade deadline and have him kind of mentor Ja for those first couple months, but I'm worried that they don't move him at the trade deadline either. Yep, and I agree. And they just lose, lose yep. him in 2020 for nothing just because it would be like so typical Grizzlies. They'll be like but... three games out of the HC, and they're like, we can do it. We can make <laughs> right. this run. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but... But I mean, it also puts, if they do take Ja, I think it does at least put Conley trades on the table this summer because Morton and I have been talking about this for a while. There are so many teams with max cap space and that have been promising this summer as salvation. And there just aren't many, aren't that many guys, especially if some of them go to their rumored destinations or just resign with their current teams. Like there's, there are going to be teams left empty handed come July 15th that, you know, the Lakers have been promising we're going to get someone to partner with LeBron. Well, what happens if it's like Nick Vucevic is the best player you could get? Is that, that's what you were selling the whole team, you know, the whole summer on or like, you know, it's widely presumed that Kevin Durant is going to the New York Knicks, New York Knicks. And it's possible that Kyrie Irving joins him or that Kemba Walker joins him. But what happens if KD changes his mind or Kyrie changes his mind? Then you you don't have Zion. You're you have R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, which is a nice young core. But you've been selling. You know you traded Kristaps Porzingis to create this max contract panacea. What happens if you don't do that? So I I think there are going to be some teams now. They're going to be desperate. And like once that big first wave of free agency, once we're past that, I think guys like Bradley Beal, Mike Conley are going to suddenly be like some of the hottest pursued commodities yeah. out there other than Anthony Davis. Yeah, I'm really curious how Kemba Mark or Kemba Walker's market plays out in the same way because he is just like a half step below everybody else. So because mm-hmm. of that, when all of the big names are gone, there is going to be that mad dash like you're explaining right now. When it comes to the Knicks, I'm so curious because if they don't get one of those stars, they don't get any stars. They need that first domino to fall or nothing happens at all, right? That's kind of how Mm -hmm. I felt about it. So with that being said, is there going to be a scenario in which they decide they're going to reach at three and they're going to grab a guy that they think could potentially morph into a top five player one day? A guy like Cam Reddish, who clearly doesn't care about (laughs) anything and at the same point would be perfect for New York in that way. Like, I'm waiting for something like that to happen what's the fallout going to be when all of a sudden all this buildup of the draft and all the trades that could happen on the stars that are available and it becomes quiet 
Yeah. Then what do teams do? Because I think the Knicks are going to reach. I think the Lakers are going to reach. The Lakers will be like, no, man, Seku Domboya, we got it. We need our 6'8 <laughs> handling, you know, point forward that doesn't know how to handle the ball or finish at the rim yet. Like, those are the kind of decisions that are going to make. My thing about this draft is that this draft will it'll be big for smart teams and it'll be awful for bad teams. Like, when mm-hmm. you have organizations that can't develop talent and they don't take time with their young guys, none of these guys are going to develop. The teams like Denver, even like Philly, who has taken the time with their young guys and, and had patience with their guys, those are the teams that are going to reap the benefits of this draft. The teams that rush it, like New York, like the Lakers, they are going to have a potentially disastrous turnout from this draft. And that's going to be fun because now they're going to be like, but what about <laughs> this guy? And you're going to have right. Magic Johnson, like, rapidly tweeting about Cam Reddish. And then Genie Buss is like, no, we have have to draft him we have to have him you see magic tweeting right now like that's everything and it's going to happen we're gonna get some chaos like that and i cannot wait man oh i love this lottery that is so jacked up again i'm so excited for this it, it is gonna be a beautiful disaster i'm already excited for draft night and, yep. and you touched you touched on something that you know again this is the first year we get these new lottery odds this is, as you said, it's one of the most chaotic lotteries we've seen in recent memory with just so many teams jumping up. And then, you know, a team like Cleveland and Phoenix that enter the night tied for the best odds, fall to <laughs> five and six. Like, it, that's a brutal break for those two teams when you, you know, you're Phoenix and you're like, oh, well, worst case scenario, we're going to get John Morant. And now it's like, maybe the best case scenario is garland sound <laughs> right like as the best case scenario here it's like or can we talk ourselves into kobe white oh God. like yeah i know like bulls fans right now are just in a a state of like oh my god we thought we were getting morant or maybe zion and now it's like please don't take cam reddish please god don't take cam reddish <laughs> I love how every team's fans is saying that right now. Please don't take right. Cam Reddish. Please don't take right. Cam Reddish. But I love that. So, like, did you see Rudy Gobert's tweet where he was, like, just yeah. basically proclaimed tanking is dead? I think right. that he's right in some instances because this lottery could not have played out better for the NBA. For yeah. all of this movement to happen at the very, very, very top, the year that they changed the lottery odds, it's going to seem like the odds are way more in favor than they actually are of teams falling way out of the top four. Yeah. That now is a reality that teams are going to have to know is on the table. It's the same thing as when Paul George chose Oklahoma City over Los Angeles. There is now a new narrative that exists in that sphere of thinking. So because of that, I do think we're going to see tanking really fall off a cliff this season. We'll see if it continues on that trajectory. But next year, like Phoenix is not going to try and lose like they did this year. New York was <laughs> right. going to lose like they did this year, but they're not going to try to. Like It's going to be different, I think. I think that's an important point that you brought up is that I think this does change the way tanking is viewed now. Like, if Mm -hmm. you don't actually win from tanking and you actually get really just eviscerated by lotto balls, owners are not going to want to leave that kind of stuff up to chance anymore. And if owners don't want to do that, they're going to hire guys who don't play that game. Full stop. So it's going to be so interesting in how this changes owners' perspectives, how they hire people, and how teams go about the lotto as a whole. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I said it last night. I was like, "Thank you, NBA, for not changing the odds before Sam Hinkie got to do it, work his magic." Because hey, man, Sam Hinkie is why this happened. If I, we're gonna be honest, I know, I know. And it, it, like, I don't think you can do the process again just because. Like, there, there are so many misconceptions about the process, which we've covered over the years <laughs> on this podcast. But one of them was that he's tanking for the number one pick every year. But you're tanking. For the floor as much as the ceiling. 
Yes. You're tanking because if you have the worst record under the old odds, you're guaranteed to fall no lower than four. Here, you're Cleveland or you're Phoenix, and you were tied for the best odds, and you fall to five or six. And it doesn't sound like a big gap, but like there are only so many, not even generational prospects, but just like all-star caliber, like this guy is clearly going to be great. There are only so many of those guys every year, and some drafts have more than others, but you know this draft seems lighter on it <laughs> yes. than last year's. Um, but like the gap between a four and a six or a seven is big enough to deter like intentional multi-year tanks. What I do think we'll start seeing more of is what we saw this year, where you know a team falls out of the playoff picture, especially after the All Star break, and they're like, oh, you know what? We're actually more incentivized now. Because the middle of the lottery, it's fine. Like, you actually have better odds than you did under the old system. Let's start shutting down our, our, you know, potentially hurt players. Or or, or for the Pelicans, let's shut down the guy who requested a trade out of here to punish him. (laughs) Yeah. So I I do think there are going to be some unintended consequences in that regard. Like, you might have some situations where you're basically telling fans, like, don't buy tickets to crappy teams after the All-Star break because you don't know who you're going to see. I do wonder if the PR hit is going to become more detrimental than the odds that you're creating for yourself, though. Like, I wonder how much that balance starts to get weighted one direction or another for the main decision makers of these tanking teams. Because if the owners or the GM or the president of basketball ops, however you want to phrase it, the governor, I don't care. If you get (laughs) any of those kinds of people where they're like, like, especially in Denver, I like Denver as a... um, as an example, not because I cover the team, but because like they had a good rebuild go through without tanking, and they built a team when they don't really have a fan base. So teams mm-hmm. like Memphis, like Memphis can't just tank. Like you right. lose all of your ability to have a fan base at that point because you have to completely rebuild that. We saw that with Denver this year. They were one win away from the Western Conference Finals, and it was like the fans were just realizing the team was good because right. they, for so long they just weren't there. So, yeah. and you know, Denver didn't tank like most of those teams. They were like seventh pick or better or worse all throughout their rebuild. So if I do think owners are going to start being more skeptical of that brand of thinking because of the PR hit it takes in comparison to those odds. It's going to be so interesting. And I think it's going to have a big impact on how GMs, president of basketball operations, VPs are all going to get hired, which guys suddenly now are more valued. I think that's why you see a lot of these assistant GMs all of a sudden being floated out there for names for guys to run different basketball operations departments because now they're trying to poach the good rebuilt teams who did it Mm -hmm. in a way that wasn't fully just completely tanking off the map and then rebuilding from ground up. Like they're trying to get guys like Tim Connolly and Arturis Karnasovas and Calvin Booth from my perspective, and then you have guys like Tommy Shepard and so many other really young, up-and-coming, smart guys in that industry who teams are now empowering more than they ever have. I don't remember this many young GMs and presidents in the league that I can remember from my short amount of time covering the league, but it's cool to see that change, the kind yeah. of people getting hired into these roles. Sure, you have the Lakers and the Rambi doing their thing still, but there's so many <laughs> other teams who are going out of their way to try and do things in a different way, a more intelligent way, a culture-setting way, and doing it step-by-step, step, not skipping steps like so many teams have done for so many years. Yeah, and, and I think you also brought up an interesting point about how you know, like you were talking about the Lakers and the Knicks are going to reach on perceived high-ceiling but low-floor guys. I think these odds, especially if teams continue to fall, a lot of these perpetually awful teams are perpetually awful because they don't properly value draft picks in the first place. Yes. And now That's I could see point. some of these teams, 
say, oh, crap, we just fell to six. Let's trade it for a veteran. Yep. Like, I, I think you're it, it's only going to create a further separation between the haves and the have-nots in terms of smart management. So maybe, as you're saying, like, maybe this leads to more teams looking for different management. Like, I know some Bulls fans, Mort is very much in the camp of, like, he's not even, he says he's not even that sad that Chicago fell to seven because he yeah. doesn't want guard packs to get rewarded for and he doesn't have any incompetent. faith that they're going to actually be able to even hit on it when they have a good pick. Right. So, so like, if like, the odds are just odds to him at this point, it's a math equation to him, right? Yeah. See, that's yeah. brutal. It should never have to be that way. Like, if you're going to hire to the highest, like, you know, the highest level of decision-making processes in basketball across the world, how are we <laughs> having so many unintelligent people in these, in these situations? It is absolutely mind-blowing to me that that happens so often. So, I, 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 that's just so sad. There should never yeah. be a team, especially in Chicago, of all places, that has that kind of ownership. But, you know, I digress. That's my rant. Uh, that I and, well, back on. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's where a lot of Bulls fans are right now. They're like just nihilistic in terms of well, we're screwed either way. So let's just. I mean, it's almost good that we don't get Zion because we don't want to ruin his career, <laughs> and let's just hope this leads to Gar Pax eventually getting fired. Oh. That's that is Bulls Twitter right now, which is amazing. Yeah, I think it's Nick's Twitter too. I think like Nick's yeah. fans right now, man. Like there needs to be like an AA kind of group for all of Nick's fans to come together in a big circle and talk about their differences and their similarities. Like they're having some struggles right now in New York. And also, I wanted to say this: I feel so bad for good New York Knicks fans. They get a yeah. bad rap because there's so many bad. New York Knicks fans, but good Knicks fans are as good of fans as there are in the league and yeah. across really any sport. Those guys have been dedicated and they just get nothing and nothing and nothing for it. And I feel genuinely bad. I usually don't even like fans in general, but I, I feel for those Knicks fans, man. They do not deserve this. On the bright side, they'll have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving handling we'll media see. really, really well. In a or we'll months. all of a sudden have Vucevic and Draymond Green on max <laughs> contracts. We're right back in Knicksville all over again. Oh, <laughs> Let, let's not wish that upon them. That's that is a no. My thing is Jimmy Butler a, and Draymond Green are going to end up being one of their two max slots. That is going to happen. There is no uh, way that I see a scenario that that doesn't happen. Oh God. Well. <laughs> It's clear that we're both still in a dark place because of our teams. So let's <laughs> let's turn to our teams now. And I, I'll start with you, just because you guys got knocked out a few hours before us, and I'm, I still need about 15 minutes to process ours. <laughs> Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year: up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for two bucks, graphic tees for four bucks, shorts for six dollars, and jeans for eight dollars. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices: just two, four, six, and eight dollars. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Um, but look, with, like Denver, I'd say had as good of a season as could be realistically expected mm-hmm. heading into this year. I yeah. think 
if you're looking in terms of which teams are best set up for the future, that I could maybe count one or two of them better than Denver. Like maybe Milwaukee, if only because Giannis is still so young. Yeah. But Denver has like you, you I mean you've got Nikola Jokic who finally Nikola Jokic, the the lightning Ooh. rod of of NBA Twitter, who finally this year got to validate why NBA Twitter has been so high on this guy for years. It drove you, me crazy, man. Like I need this moment. There are, and this is the thing. It wasn't even just the analytics driven NBA Twitter that was on this. Anybody who just took the time and actually sat down and watched him play more than like three quarters of basketball, they knew what right. they were watching. Like this wasn't like this new and astounding thing. It's just the national media finally showed up. Which is fine. Right. Like it was gonna take time. This is Denver. Anybody who says that Denver deserves more limelight is just fooling themselves. This is Broncos country. It's not going to happen that way. They don't care. But beyond that, Nikola Jokic now, there is no denying that he is a top 10 player, that he was mm-hmm. better than that in the playoffs, and that there is nothing that he can't do. His defensive effort and production in the playoffs was astounding for him. I was blown away. That's my one positivity of the season ending was, man, Nikola Jokic is for real in a way that even local Denver media wasn't sure he would have been. That was a spectacular postseason run for him. Yeah. And he didn't die after playing 65 minutes, which I was genuinely concerned about. I think Nikola Jokic might be the most athletic person in the most unathletic body of all time. Like, he's (laughs) moving laterally, he's playing 65 minutes, he's playing with all of that physicality, and he looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. I've never (laughs) seen anything like this. This is going to sound awful. I had someone tell me he looks like he has no bones, and I can't (laughs) get it out of my head. guy is just it just it just happens like there's just all this athleticism that oozes out of underneath of whatever roles are happening like i don't know where this came from but it happened yeah it's amazing it's so good and then i mean so you've got Jokic. you then have a great young backcourt and jamal murray and gary harris i know harris struggled through some injuries this year but mm-hmm. we started to see the gary harris of old in the playoffs which was yeah. great and you have him under a very reasonable contract moving forward so that's a great young big three right there. You still have Michael Porter Jr. who didn't play at all this year. You still have a bunch of other like good role players. Uh, Will Barton, Mason Plumley, Malik Beasley, Monte Morris. Like The young guys in particular are set up for a monster success moving forward. Yeah. The big question, I think, for Denver is first, what do you do with Paul Millsap? You've got a $30 million team option on him next year. Do you pick that up if you're the Nuggets? Do you decline it and hope to get him back on a longer deal but cheaper annual value? Or do you see what you can, like, is there a pathway for them to create enough cap space to re-sign what he brings? I mean, yes, yes, and yes. There's there's, a, there's so many options Denver has because they have so many trade pieces, so many different levels of, like, how much money these contracts are worth to actually make deals happen. So there's a lot of ways they can go about this. Everything that I have heard and I have been told or being around the organization is that they expect to decline his option and they expect to bring him back on a lower amount of money. The season just ended. Agents and ownership have not had enough conversations for this to be locked in stone yet, but that is the general idea with the season just ended. 
ending is that they're going to find a way to bring him back. And Paul Millsap really echoed that in his exit interview where he was like, this is where I want to be. And this was my favorite thing. He was like, I want to win my way. Like I mm. could go to Golden State and win a championship because it's Golden State. Like we're not dumb. Like, yes, we were one, one win away from the Western Conference Finals, but that's the Golden State Warriors. Like these NBA players are aware enough to understand that, but he <laughs> right. wants to do it his way. He wants to win with another group of guys who are overlooked and completely underappreciated just like he was. That's what he said. That was the comparison mm. he made. And that was really eye-opening to me that he wants to stay here. He wants to win here. He has taken so much pride in what they have built in Denver already. So I do expect Paul Millsap to stick around. When it comes to how much money they can create without him, that's where this gets really interesting because if Denver renounces the cap holds on Trey Lyles, on Tyler Lydon, who they have already declined the option of, and Isaiah Thomas, whose contract is over, and they let Millsap walk, they create enough room for the lowest end max end contract immediately. Mm. If they trade Mason Plumley, they have enough money to sign anybody to a max contract that they want to. So it's actually much more conceivable that they can open up big time money than we originally thought. So because of that, Denver has all these options now. Let's just say all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard's like, you know what? Denver might actually be a team I wouldn't mind talking to. Denver could open up enough cap space to be able to sign a guy like that. So at that point, you're like, Paul Millsap, we really appreciate what you did. If you want to come back on the, on the MLE, great. Mm -hmm. If you don't, we got to sign Kawhi. Like, you got to understand that. So that's the way I see this playing out. They will keep Paul Millsap around on less money unless they find a star player, which will probably still lead to Paul Millsap staying on either the MLE or the biannual exception. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But Denver has all the options in front of them. They can really do what they want so long as they can find a way to move one of Will Barton or Mason Plumlee at the very end of the clock to be able to open up that cap room. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know you mentioned them as a potential AD destination too, just because of mm -hmm. all of these movable contracts. I mean, it makes me happy to hear that Millsap's back or they're planning on bringing Millsap back yeah. just because it, it feels like he's such a good fit there in terms of not only what he brings on the court, but like his off court locker room leadership. I, mean, I know there was that anecdote toward the end of last season where he basically told Jokic like, this is your team. You have to take control of this team. And for him, you know, a multi-time all-star, like an established NBA player, to tell this pudgy 23, 24-year-old <laughs> that, like, you yeah. know, basically give him the torch, I think was was notable. So that's that's good to hear. But yeah, and he please got take... the team to buy in defensively as well. That's another big yeah. part of this. Like Denver, it was tenth defensively this year, and that was all to do with Paul Millsap. Like he was Malone's voice on the floor of keeping these guys organized defensively. And without that, I don't know if they would have bought into this level of defense this early in their progression as a young core. So I think, in my opinion, the two years, sixty million dollars that Millsap has made has been completely justified, even mm -hmm. if his numbers may not be thirty million dollars per year valuable. I. I think he was $30 million per year valuable. And what else were they going to spend that money on? Like, right. There wasn't really a situation. And people who get upset about owners spending money, like, this ain't your money. This ain't Josh's <laughs> right. money. Like, let right. Josh Kroenke spend all the money he wants to spend. Who cares? But yeah. regardless of that, he has paid out his due. And I do think he wants to stay here and win here because he believes this is a very special team. Yeah, I, I see. We'll talk about JJ Redick in a bit, but I, I see him and Redick operating in similar roles to some respect. Like, they provide something of value on the court, not what their salary would suggest, but what they don't do on the court. They've just helped transform the culture of a young team, professionalize the locker room, you know, give like give the sage advice of I've been through these playoff battles. You guys haven't. 
here's how to prepare, here's how to handle yourself on a day-to-day basis. Eh? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're in the very beginning stages of a rebuild, the whole, like, locker room leadership thing, I, I don't know that you necessarily need to sign a bunch of mediocre veterans who are just going to be gunning for their own minutes and numbers. <laughs> yes. But, like, in some respects, in certain situations, like what Denver and Philly had, I, I think there is value to bringing in one or two guys like this. So it, it's good to hear Millsap will hopefully be back. I think he's a great fit with that team. And I would love for you guys to sign Kawhi. Just get the hell, get him the hell right? out of the East. Could you no, imagine never, how never ridiculous again. that would be, too? Oh, it, man. Uh, There's a lot of star players who could, like, if they go to Denver, they make Denver instant championship contenders with one step yeah. below Golden State. Like, that's where you start talking about them is, like, one step above Houston, where they were this year, and one step behind Golden State. And then you are, you know, one kind of crazy you know, heel turn away from the Nuggets being legitimate championship contenders at that point. These windows close quicker than fans ever want to give credit to. That's yeah. one thing I've learned, especially watching Boston from last year to this year. Like, yeah. these things stop abruptly in ways that you can't control or conceive of actually happening so you got to buy in when you have these opportunities if you have a top 10 player you have the right support cast around him you have the right coach that can get through to him take that next step as quickly and as authoritatively as you could possibly do so and i think we're going to see if tim Connolly stays in denver which we can talk about a little bit later if tim does stay in denver he's always been aggressive he's always been on the phones he will make calls like this he always has and now players are going to want to come here now. This is becoming Mm -hmm. a very different place to be. If you're title hunting and you want a young team that can take you there, Denver is now looking like a very exciting place to be if Kevin Durant leaves Golden State. Like, there's all of a sudden a lot more turmoil within the Western Conference if that happens, and Denver would be right there at the forefront of the next team up. Yeah. I mean, if he leaves Golden State, I think Denver enters next season as the favorite in the West. Wow. That's... that's that's big. And I, I get why you're saying that. I still, like, like I just keep playing the Denver is incredibly young card until yeah. they're just not 23 years old. So <laughs> right. that's, that's my part of this right now. But at the same time, like, the numbers speak for the numbers. The Nuggets couldn't hit an open shot to save their lives in the playoffs, and they were one game away from the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Like, four points away at that point. And I think this experience for all of those guys is only going to make them better. Like yeah. now, I I, th- I think there is something to, you know, there's the whole concept of like, well, should you make the playoffs or should you tank for the 10 pick? Like what's, who cares about first round exit? I think for a Nuggets team that none of these guys had made the playoffs before, going to two game sevens, being tested against Popovich and Terry Stotts, two good coaches, all of that experience is going to fuel them to get that much better. And now they know the areas in which they need to improve. So, yeah. I mean... Yet, like I, the Nuggets, I think will be better just baseline next season, just because of that. But then also, as you mentioned, there's there are so many avenues for them to improve externally too. That yeah, like I mean, I I was all in on Denver before this season. Mort and I were both big Denver fans. We had you guys. I think we had you as our number one league pass team. Um, Nothing's going to change. Yeah, Yeah, like they are what they are. They're just a great, fun, young team, and we should enjoy them because, as you said, windows do close quickly and more quickly than we're anticipating and who knows what happens moving forward like next year i think the expectations will be higher for the nuggets just based on what happened this year yeah who knows how that affects them i don't think they're going to implode chemistry wise like boston did no knock on wood. that won't happen that won't happen yeah. 
But at the same time, though, like Nikola Jokic, it was so bizarre to watch him go through the playoffs and act like it was just a regular NBA game. Like that dude just like <laughs> rolled out of bed like it was just another day. Like it was game 53 on a Tuesday against Phoenix and just went out there and does what he does. When your star player is that composed and treats every game like it's not the end of the world, the rest yeah. of your team is going to follow. And that's a big point of this. Also, I think Denver losing in game seven of the second round of the playoffs is actually going to be better for them than losing in five games in the Western Conference Finals. Game 82, losing in Minnesota last year, was the chip on their shoulder that motivated them the entire summer. They have that again now. They might mm-hmm. not have gotten that if they just stayed and you know got to the Western Conference Finals and felt happy about themselves. Now they feel like they were one step away from what they deserved once again. And because of that, they're going to have that motivational tool that they had last year, which could lead to them all coming back improved as well and if they can get healthy who knows how good this team could be gary harris had four lower body injuries last year i mean paul Millsap missed another month will barton missed three months everyone keeps counting will barton out but i mean the numbers with him and the starters before his injury they were plus 36 net rating with that five-man group on the court over like 150 minutes like they have a dominating stretch with barton at the small forward role so there are so many ways for this team to elevate their game not just a little bit but quite a bit and that's Mm -hmm. going to be so interesting so what about michael porter jr because i think he's kind of the big x factor for this team you know he doesn't play at all this year he has the back injury he, I think he said he's going to play in Summer League, right? Yeah, he told playing. us at exit yeah. interviews he will play in Summer League. He also was the guy that said he'd be healthy for Summer League last year. So I'm still okay. taking this with a grain <laughs> of salt. Um, everything I've heard, though, is that he is going to play Summer League. From what I've heard, Las Vegas Summer League has already decided that the first game, the first big marquee game, is going to be Michael Porter Jr. versus Zion Williamson in the big court. So like Ooh. that's what they're already going towards. They're excited <laughs> about Michael Porter Jr. So. Yeah. Uh, but for me, like, I've watched him play three-on-three. Three. I've watched him play some four-on-four. Four. He's played only a little bit of five-on-five, five, but he has played it. But he still looks stiff, man. This is a guy who hasn't played basketball mm. in two years. He's played three games since high school. Like, it's very hard for me to expect anything from him right now. He is a complete non-factor until he steps on a court and is actually able to play basketball for me. Is he going to be able to move laterally? I don't know. Is his explosion still there? I don't know. This is a 19-year-old kid who had two back surgeries. Like, we don't know. So, for me... Yes, he could be so good, come out of the just come out of summer league gangbusters and potentially fight for the starting small forward spot. At the same time, he could not even be in the rotation next year. Both of these things are equally on the same table, and I have mm-hmm. no idea what's going to play out. All I know is that the Nuggets players in their exit interviews were asked about Michael Porter Jr. a ton, and the and the reason why was that apparently Michael Porter Jr. does not top does not stop talking smack ever. And for a guy that just got to the league and has played three games since high school, that might not be a good thing. But we'll just have to kind of wait and see because, like Paul Millsap said, he's like, I'm going to be in summer league just to watch and see if he can back up all the crap he's been talking for the entire year. Like, that's where they're at. He's got the whole, I'm Kobe, I'm the best player on the court, no one can check me mindset, which terrifies me on an altruistic team like Denver. But at the same time, like, the dude could average 27 in a season at some point. Like, he has that kind of talent so for me i have no idea like i don't think anybody has any idea what michael porter jr could be will be or can be it's complete and utter chaos right now in terms of trying to evaluate where he is so now it's just wait and see till summer league 
That's yeah. going to be the fun part. And he's going to take 35 shots in a game. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> there's going to be a game where he has zero assists, four turnovers, and like 35 shots. Like, that's who he is right now. And it's going to take a little bit of time to work him out of these kinds of thought processes into a team-oriented system, which is hard to do. So we'll have to just wait and see. I, I might have to go to Vegas just to see that. Come to Vegas. First round of drinks is on me. It's going to be – It's Summer League is always chaos, and it's so much fun for three days, and then you hate yourself for the last right. two or three days. But so much fun otherwise. I love I love Summer League. I, I've never been to Las Vegas, but I feel like the first time I go, I'm just never going to leave the city. So it might be best to buy. You'd be surprised because you literally – it's like 11 a.m. to like 9.30, 10 o'clock p.m. Basketball is being played on both courts the entire time. And yeah. then you immediately go out with every other basket blogger or writer in the world, get completely drunk, go gamble too much, fall to at right. 5 a.m. and wake up and do it again. So by the end of it, you're like, get me out of this city. <laughs> like I cannot do this anymore. So it's funny how to watch everyone devolve into madness by day five. Like it's yeah. like watching. Like, do you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally like watching Daenerys, like watching her make the choice of like falling into madness. You can watch that on everybody's face at Summer League. It's glorious. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, the other <laughs> the other question I had about the Nuggets, uh, Jamal Murray up for an extension this summer. Have you heard anything about whether the Nuggets plan to broach those talks? I haven't heard anything about it yet. Um, I would be very surprised if they didn't. Um, this mm-hmm. is the team that has always locked up their guys as early as they can. And they have completely plainly said that Jamal Murray is their future at point guard, full stop. Yeah. So because of all those things, I expect them to broach that immediately. Also, you can't wait. If you wait and his value goes up because he comes out gangbusters to start the next season, you can't give him a max. You could. I mean, they're, I mean, they. you can have two guys on maxes if you drafted them both, but... Mm-hmm. That's that's a very scary proposition for me. For me, the best outcome for that is Jamal Murray extends for four years, $100 million. It puts him between Jokic and Gary Harris, so you're so the hierarchy stays there. You still get life-changing money. $100 million is nothing to scoff at, clearly. So right. hopefully that works out. I'm not going to be surprised if Jamal Murray, if his agent pushes for a max. Like I, I, I have no insight on that, but mm-hmm. I'm fully expecting that to be part of it because the Nuggets have built him up to be the second star on the team. You yeah. can't build a guy up to be that guy and then not pay him like that guy so we're gonna have to they're gonna extend him early i'd be very surprised if they didn't but they're gonna have to pay him if they're going to do so yeah yeah i mean we Morton and i have been huge fans of just his fit next to Jokic. we always say like <laughs> if you're going to have you don't need a ball dominant point guard next to nikola Jokic. like you want oh, a guy so ball dominant sometimes sorry jamal murray drives me crazy oh, like no. it's oh um he's, he's i mean when you play no defense I mean, yeah, he was yeah. a disaster defensively in the playoffs, and you yes. can't get the ball back into the post when your best player is the best in the high and low post. Like, you have right. big problems there. His decision-making got better, so did his playmaking, but I'm not sold that Jamal Murray is the future point guard of this team when they really compete for a championship. Interesting. Okay. If they do trade him, though, you better trade him east because he will yeah. kill you every time you play each other if you do trade him to the west. Like, yeah. they cannot trade him to the west if they're ever going to decide to move on from him. Oh no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, do you have any any other big takeaways for the Nuggets before we move on to the Sixers? 
uh, if the Nuggets let Tim Connolly get away for money reasons and they don't offer mm. him as much money as Washington does or will or has, I don't know where we're at currently in that process. But if Denver has a chance to match and doesn't, they deserve whatever comes on to them from that. <laughs> that is all I'm saying. They cannot let Tim get away if it's just money, full stop. Yeah, yeah. You and I, are, we sound very similar when we're going. <laughs> just yes. how, I, how I've been about the Sixers owners for a while. Today's show was brought to you by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com slash xm to learn more. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes. Uh, so let's move to the Sixers, the other sufferers of a horrible Game <laughs> 7 loss. Um, yes. And, you know, I... I recorded a pod with Anthony Irwin of Locked on Lakers on Monday, and we were talking about the Lakers coaching search. Good friend of mine, yeah. And uh, at the end, I was literally saying, like, I'm going to stop trolling you now because if I keep doing it, the Sixers are going to fire Brett Brown, and we're going to be even more of a disaster (laughs) than you guys are. And then then literally, like, an hour after we finished recording, Woj breaks the news that Brett Brown's going to be back for the 2019-2020 season. I'm like, yes, the reverse jinx worked. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) It's It's a miracle. Um, what did you think of this whole, you know, Mark Stein releases the report ahead of game seven that there's little chance he survives a second round exit. Just the whole, uh, fascination with Brown's job security. And like, do you think he deserved to be on the hot seat at all? No, I don't. Like, this is my thing. You can't trade for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris during the season and expect a coach to, like, just make everything work like they had been there for five years together. This is completely unfair to Brett Brown. Like, he had Joel Embiid, like, in and out and all of a sudden he's got a cortisone shot. Now his knee's not working again. Like, nothing made any actual, you know, logical sense for him throughout the season. So how is he supposed to build any kind of consistency with that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And he's done nothing but get the best out of his guys, man. Like, that team seems like they love him. From my perspective, backed out, it seems like they love him. And that, from watching Michael Malone and the culture he has instilled, is way more important than anybody gives credit to. Players, coaches get the best out of their players. Like, that is just the end of the conversation for me. So when I started seeing his name, pop up on the hot seat i was like are, are you kidding me like what are you who are you gonna hire that's gonna do a better job than this like that's my thing you better have a name like immediately yeah. ready to go if you're gonna make a bold decision like that so i always thought it sounded more like to me that a different team other than philly reached out to stein to try and create this conversation mm. so that they could get brett brown themselves that's what it seemed like from my ten thousand foot perspective that that was not from philly 
There's no right. reason for Philly to leak that information. So for me, it's I, I always ask, why is this information out there? I would bet it's because a team like the Suns or a team like Minnesota or a team like Cleveland would have been very interested in having a coach who was there for the rebuild of Philly to be mm-hmm. the guy to help their team rebuild. That's what I kind of thought from it. Yeah, I mean, so Josh Harris, like, early in March, did his whole, he was on, like, one of the Sloan panels, and he said, you know, he was asked, like, what would happen if you lost to the Celtics in the opening round, which is when they were thinking a 4-5 or five matchup was possible, and he, you know, he's like, it'd be very problematic, at the very least, we expect to move further than we did last year, and then Elton Brand said something similar in the last month of the season, so some of the pressure came, not necessarily internally, because, like, they weren't saying we're going to fire him if we don't yeah. move past the second round, but they also didn't come out and like ever throw their full support and be like, yeah, Brett's our guy this year. Brett's our guy next year. Brett, you know, he's signed through 2021, I think. So like, <laughs> That's the other thing. What owner is going to pay a coach that kind of money for no reason to? Right, right. That so, just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I've made my feelings. I've been a very pro Brett guy for a while now. Um, I think, look, he's not perfect. I think last year, especially in the playoffs, he got out coached by Brad Stevens. That happens. I think this year he was much better in terms of his adjustments, uh, both in the Brooklyn and Toronto series. Brooklyn, he benched TJ McConnell after game one. Toronto, he he quickly realized he had no good center <laughs> options aside from Joel, and he just had to like piece it together and pray yeah. to God that they could. I saw Jordan Bolden playing like three-minute spurts, and I was like, what is going on right brutal. now? Greg Monroe was a minus nine in two minutes in game seven. It was a two point loss. Sounds like Mason Plumley. <laughs> yeah, it was. But, like, I mean, his, you know, moving Simmons onto Kawhi, moving Embiid onto Siakam after game one, like, he made a lot of good adjustments. And as you said, he, he I mean, Brett has said this multiple times this year. He's like, I coached three different teams this year. Like, Markel yeah. Fultz was in the starting lineup for the Sixers opening night oh, this year. I, I, I forgot about Markel. That's how yeah. crazy this season has been. Like, I haven't even thought about Markel Fultz in like two months. Right. It's like, this is, I mean, this is just the normal for him though. Like he went from the first three years where they just churned through like 30 guys a year and just like 10 day contracts and UDFAs. And he, mm-hmm. he always jokes like, I would always meet my, my someone would come in and I'd give him a jersey. And you're like, all right, you're a starting point guard tonight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this man does not deserve this, man. And right. this is the thing, too. If the ownership and the decision-making group of Philly is saying Eastern Conference finals are bust, I yeah. hate that. Like, that is yeah. not a good front office decision-making process because so many random things happen in the playoffs. Like, you can't justify a coach's rest of his career with your organization based off coin flip games late in a playoff series like that yeah. is not good decision making on my part that's why i give tim Connolly so much credit for keeping michael malone around there was mm-hmm. internal conversation last year before they did all of this big run this year that malone should have been fired there was internal conversation that malone should have been fired and he knew about it himself this is not like news to people around the nuggets organization but Tim Connolly rode for him. He was like, we're not going to fire him because the team had all of these injuries and we forced him to to build an offense around a 22-year-old center who can't jump. Like, yeah. that's not <laughs> fair to, like, force this, like, these big expectations upon him, even right. though other people in the organization were. But because yeah. Tim rode for him, he kept him around, and lo and behold, look at how good of a job he did in the playoffs, making his decision-making processes and being able to, you know, build these matchups to be able to exploit. So I think they need to keep faith in Brett 
Brett Brown. They have to at least allow him to do what he does and don't have a foot on both ends of the line. Pick a side. Tell, if you're going to give him two more years, stand on that side and support your coach. Don't sit here and be like, oh, but the Eastern Conference Finals, what about Old Horford <laughs> that one year? Like, It doesn't right. make any sense to me to judge a coach in that way. So for me, it's very frustrating to watch him be on the hot seat if he was and to see the internal conversation being like this. That's very unfortunate for Brett Brown. I am 1,000% with you. And that goes into, you know, now this summer, three-fifths of their starting lineup are free agents. Jimmy Butler, mm-hmm. Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick. They only have four players under contract for next That's year. so sad, man. They have Embiid, Simmons, Zaire Smith, and Jonah Bolden. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, you know, I thought last year was a big offseason for them. Like, this is it. Because after this uh, after this offseason, Ben Simmons becomes eligible for an extension this offseason. So this was always going to be is either last year or this year they needed to get their big fish because once he gets his extension and once it kicks in, their cap space was gone. So they yeah. got their big fish with Butler and Harris. Now they need to re-sign those guys, in theory. Both are one. So... What would you do if you're the Sixers? Oh, I mean, okay, I'm also like, when everyone was like, Jimmy Butler to Denver, it makes so much sense. I was the one guy like, please don't bring Jimmy Butler anywhere near Denver. Like, I don't (laughs) want any part of this whatsoever. So for me, there's one very easy decision-making here for me. It's Tobias Harris, regardless of his struggles in the playoffs. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Tobias Harris provides the Philadelphia 76ers with a semblance of spacing, even if shots don't fall. Like, you're going to defend Tobias Harris no matter what. So you need that. You still have the physicality and the size to be a mismatch to exploit. You're still able to play big defensively if Ben Simmons is your starting point guard. There are so many reasons that this still makes sense to me. So for me, it's Tobias Harris. That's where I'm keeping around. I'm letting Jimmy walk. I'm not even electing to even try and have a conversation with him. Like Honestly, if he's going to sit here and just yell Max in your face over and over and over again until it happens, like I'm not going to sit at the table with you. Like, this mm-hmm. is, there is no reason to have these discussions anymore, in my opinion. So let him go to New York. Let New York give him... $40 million in his age 34 season or whatever it ends up being. Like, I don't, I, if I'm Philly, I want no part of that if it's me. Interesting. So, at the trade deadline, I was like one of the only people on Sixers Twitter who, when they traded for Harris, I was like, oh, this, this sets up some problems down the line, guys. Like, this is about to get really expensive really quickly. Yes. Like, I just don't know that a big four model in practice has a super long-term window. I don't think it does. I think you could do it for three or four years. I think we've seen that repeatedly with Cleveland, with Miami, with the Clippers in the past decade alone. Like After a certain point, we're going to see it with the Warriors too. After a certain point, you have these four guys on big max contracts or whatever, near max, whatever. Your supporting cast dries up. You either have to nail your MLE, your biannual exception draft picks, or retain your old free agents because once you lose the bird rights on them, you can't like yeah yeah, you have exceptions and minimum deals that's it there's no way to build out your supporting cast so long term i'm skeptical of this plan but i i first like as skeptical as i was at the trade deadline right now i think their only choice is to just run the whole thing back because if jimmy leaves they can create i think it was like 38 million in cap space somewhere around there but that means they have to renounce the rights to everyone else so you Sure, you can bring in, retain Redick, maybe bring in a Danny Green or a Bojan Bogdanovich, but then you still only have the room exception and minimum deals. Like, I, I don't think your team is going to be appreciably better if you let Butler go, 
try to re-sign some other role player guys. I just think you have to bring back the starting five. I think the key for me is how do you duck the luxury tax this year? Not because I want to save Josh Harris money. I, just a, the repeater. You're just trying to get away from that repeater. Well, and for this, like after this year, there is no way. If they bring back all four and they bring back Reddick, there is no humanly way they could duck the tax. It's They're just going to be yeah. way in there. The key for this is can you get the non-taxpayer mid-level versus the taxpayer mid-level? Because mm. I think that's where you need to really improve if you're Philly. Like your starting five was great. They had a plus or a net rating of like plus 24 in the playoffs. You, yeah. you feel good about that. It's hard to retain uh, Mike Scott and James Ennis just because you only have non-bird rights on both of those guys. So Mike Scott, you can offer, I think, like $5 million. James Ennis, you can offer a little more than $2 million. Yeah. I think Mike Scott just loves Philly. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> you don't say that Mike Scott loves Philly. That yeah. dude looks happier than he's ever looked in his life. Right, right. It's, Which mean, isn't really just, happy. It's just like less of a, of a growl, I guess, is what it is. But <laughs> he, he, he and Philly are such a perfect marriage. I would max him are. if we could, unfortunately. <laughs> they, they cannot. Uh, but I, I do think he's back. But, yeah, I mean, so I think I'm not pumped about giving a max contract to either Jimmy or Tobias, to be honest. But if the alternative is lose those guys and have no real way to replace what they bring, plus lose the supporting cast versus bring those guys back, I think, like, I would go to them. I would say, you know, go into negotiations being willing to offer the max. But, and I hate to even bring this guy up because I hate him so much. But Tom Brady was on Jimmy Kimmel recently. And he was, he was, you know, they, they, <sighs> Jimmy Kimmel asks him, why aren't you the highest paid quarterback in the NFL? And, you know, at first he's like, well, my wife's a supermodel and she makes a lot of money. <laughs> but then he also says, look, there's a salary cap. You can only spend so much. And the more you spend on one guy, there's less for others. And from a competitive advantage standpoint, I'd like to get a good, a lot of good players around me. So I, I would go to Jimmy and Tobias and I'd say, look, we can give you the max. We can bring back JJ. We can hopefully bring back Mike Scott. We can have the taxpayer mid-level. Or if you guys take a couple million less, we'll have the non-taxpayer. We'll have a little bit more flexibility, at least this year, to round out our bench. You know how close we were. We were like a Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. We have the core of a championship team. Let's get the supporting cast we need. I would also not sell any of our, like, they have 24, 33, 34 this year. They've been selling second round picks in particular a lot in recent years don't sell those picks yeah. like you need to build out your bench this is your your last real chance to do so but i think they have the framework in place to be a legit title contender next year especially if kd leaves the warriors yeah i and i agree with all of these points the one thing that worries me especially trying to get the full mid-level is that you're asking at least one of tobias and jimmy to wait like yeah. we need you to just sit there and know and hope that the money is coming and trust us. There are very few players who are willing to make that kind of a deal. That is that would be terrifying to me. And also as a team, all of a sudden Phoenix is like, you know what? We got Max. Yeah, Why not? Yeah, like, yeah. and all of a sudden Jimmy's like, have a good life, man. We're out. Like, I'm going wherever the the bag is. Yeah. So that's it. Makes sense on paper. It terrifies me in real life. That that thought process of trying to hold on to the mid level. Um, but at the same time, you're gonna need it. Like, this is a rock and a hard place. This is one of those things where if you don't play your cards perfectly, this could all fall apart in a big way. And yeah. that scares the life out of me as a Philly fan. So let me ask you this. If 
they both are like, nah, we want Max's. Like, I don't care about the competitive advantage. Like, give me my money. Do you mm-hmm. trade Ben Simmons? I don't think there's a workable trade with Ben Simmons until his extension kicks in. It's so hard to trade rookie deals. It's so hard to trade rookie deals. Yeah, like you would have to find, like I've heard Denver brought up as like a Jamal mm-hmm. Murray, that kind of thing. But like that's Which, what you need. You need to, or like go to Toronto. A De'Aaron and, Fox. Yeah, or like Pascal Siakam in Toronto or something. But mm-hmm. like it's just so hard to get someone of commensurate value. He's earning $8 million next year. Like he's far outperforming his contract. So do I think Simmons and Embiid are a perfect long-term fit together? No, not necessarily. I, I think Simmons would be maximized if he's around four shooters. Like, if he had a center look, like Brooke Lopez, I think he'd be better off. Well, yeah, than... you just play him like Giannis. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, like, I also think there's room for growth. I, I don't think the Sixers, they used, you know, they were adaptable in the playoffs. They ran a lot more pick and roll with Jimmy in particular, which I think was smart. I don't think they used Tobias to his full capacity yet. I think give him a full offseason training camp regular season with this team we see a much better tobias harris next year i think he was for sure he was definitely like i mean they hit him in the corners a lot but i think he was just kind of hesitant to hunt for his shots because he just thought like i'm playing with so much talent i'm gonna defer we can make a better shot but like and it's hard to like run him through elevator screens and put pin downs through like for him because he doesn't know how these guys work like there's not like a comfortability on the court to really do anything that's not basic which is why that was so hard to really evaluate him yeah exactly so like i i think if you this team made some real strides between the start of the playoffs and the end of the playoffs. And that was a one month stretch. Like if you give them a full season to work together, they will be far, you know, and be it in Butler after one of the games were like, chemistry is overrated, blah, blah, blah. If you have good players, like <laughs> that's not good when your team is literally saying chemistry is overrated. Right. That is and a very I, bad sign. I mean, I think they were part just to like brush it over saying like, look, we've got enough talent that we can win now. We didn't need, you know, we don't need to be together forever to, like, figure out we do have a lot of talent. But, like, that chemistry is important, too. And that cohesiveness is important. Running, knowing exactly what you're going to do in all of these situations only comes through repetition, which they just haven't had yet. So, ideally, you bring back these guys and they get to develop that rep repetition and it's another reason i'm glad brett brown's back like yeah. they have some they have a foundation to build upon they're not going to start from scratch with a new coach new offensive system new defensive system they know what they're going to run they know what's that was working in the playoffs now you know all right maybe we don't need a backup point guard maybe it is just jimmy butler is our backup point guard yeah that's what Denver did two years ago. Will Barton was their backup point guard. They're like, Emmanuel Moutier and Devin Harris isn't working. Like, we're moving on to Will Barton. We're going to put the ball in his hands. It's like mm-hmm. Indiana playing Tyreek Evans at, at backup point guard. Like, those things right. make a lot of sense now. So, with all these things being said, though, if they do this, they're stuck, like you yeah. said. Like, they are yeah. just stuck. So, yeah. do you consider sign-in trading one of Butler or Tobias Harris? with Ben Simmons. That's when you can actually make a yeah. deal. That's when I start really playing with this that makes the most sense to me. Because then you do start talking about Denver. Need a small forward with some size that can play defense, and Ben Simmons would make a lot of sense there. Let's sign and trade the contracts to make this make sense. You know, Send Paul Millsap, pick up his option, send him over there to play with Joel Embiid, which would make a lot more sense. Things like that, when mm-hmm. you really start getting creative, I think Philly can do. My question is, can Elton Brand do it? Because right. this is he just got here. This is not like right. he has been around doing this for a long period of time. Like he yeah. played what four years ago. Like this yeah. isn't a yeah. guy who knows the inner workings of sign and trade minutia. Like that's very difficult to comprehend. So right. I do wonder, 
if they're limited because they don't have a whole lot of experience in that front office. Yeah, I mean, they have some other guys there who have been working for longer. Like, I'm assuming Elton Brand is not their cap guru. or they are, Or they are so much more screwed than I already think <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think even if they re-sign Jimmy and Tobias and don't make a big move this summer, I do think the ultimate move is re-sign yeah. those guys with the idea of you're going to flip one down the line for role players. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a yeah. lot more sense to me. So Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I think the big four, it's impossible to keep it around for more than a couple of years, which is fine. Like right now, as you said, windows open and close much more quickly than anyone anticipates. And I was so adamantly against the big four. And then I forget who I saw the tweet from, but someone brought up the point of like Elton Brand might be a really unique, bring a really unique perspective here because he is the perfect example of a guy who had his window open and close faster than anyone expected. He tears his Achilles. He's never the same player again. I think he's operating like Joel Embiid's on borrowed time, which for all we know, he might be. Like and I Joel Embiid. Yeah. So they know this group of guys, Joel Embiid is like, he's ready to win now. Ben Simmons, I think you can argue, is not yet, or at least he will be better in a couple years. And like, hopefully Joel will too. But Joel Embiid could be the anchor of a championship defense, at least, right now. Could he cut down on his turnovers? Could he become a better passer? Could he become a three-point shooter? Of course. I think there are ways they could better maximize Ben Simmons, too. Um, We saw a little bit of it. Well, we saw a lot of it in Game 3 in the Brooklyn series when Embiid missed it. I actually thought they used him more creatively in Game 6 to 7 of the Toronto Series, too. We he saw... finally started being used as an off-ball screener, and they yes. were getting them moving, finally. Yes. I wonder yes. how much of that is just Ben Simmons being like, I don't want to go screen people off-ball. Like, I right. really wonder, because, like, it's so clear. It's like, I'm not smart. Like, I don't want to grow up with a coach. Like, it's right. not like I have any actual inside basketball information, but it seems so simple just to be like, let's make Ben Simmons a roller. Let's yeah. just get him downhill with all that athleticism and all those gifts and let him just tear people apart at the rim. But it yeah. just never happened. And right. it was so bizarre. But, yes, I think you were dead on by saying that. They finally put him through screens and actually made him an off-ball threat, not just a guy who stood there. Right. Yeah, like, they. I mean, a lot of the playoffs was just hide him in the dunker spot, which is clog up the paint, make it more difficult yep. for Embiid. That's not optimal. I think, again, it all comes down to they had three months to figure this out on the fly, give them a whole offseason mm-hmm. with these same guys. Like, I, I don't know that this is the Sixers team for the next five years but I think it should be the Sixers team for at least the next year and then see what happens. Because, it, yeah. I, again, I, I think this team has a legitimate chance to win a championship, regardless of what happens with Kevin Durant, to be totally honest. But mm-hmm. if he leaves, I mean, I think they matched up with the Bucks a lot better than they did against the Raptors, at least in terms of personnel. Well, they have the size. Like, that's what I remember watching them in the regular season was, like, they can hunt mismatches whenever the heck they want to. Like, it does not matter because they always have one on the floor. When your point guard's 6'10 and your small forward 6'11, like, you're going to have the ability to match (laughs) up how you feel like. So those things are so interesting to me. I just never got to see them play out, like you said, because Brett Brown coached three different teams this year. So I really want to see if they're able to actually 
use that style because no one's playing bully ball like that. There's nobody's right. playing that big. So it is unique and one of a kind in that way. And I really like what you said, what you said about Elton Brand, about him knowing that there's a finite number of days left. I mean, you and I know that the NBA changes in six minutes like it did mm-hmm. last night. Like these yeah. windows don't just close. They like they just disappear into thin air. Yeah. So th- this is a very, very big moment for Philly. This offseason will set them up for potentially the next decade, whether they go forward or backward. And I have no idea which way it's going to go, but I like Elton Brand doing it. I like the fact that Elton Brand is emptying the clip. That's the way yeah. it should be. They're trying to win at all costs. Well, now that my palms are so much sweatier, and I'm going to have to think about this for the next six weeks, I think, I think that's actually probably a good place to wrap up. So, TJ, thank you again for joining us. Uh, remind our listeners one more time where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me at TJ McBride NBA on Twitter. Follow the Nuggets or the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast on all major platforms. We are also through Spreaker. Shout Spreaker. But uh, yeah, everything through MileHighSports.com at TJ McBride NBA Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. Yes, give TJ a follow because if you haven't noticed, the Denver Nuggets are not going anywhere. They're only going to get better next year. Uh, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter as well at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow too. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews, and we too are hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter, at Spreaker. As always, I am Brian Toporek, and I was joined today by TJ McBride. TJ, best of luck this summer. Hope uh, <laughs> hope you have a better night than the New York Knicks fans did last night. <laughs> I will. That is for sure. I will be having a better night than that. Thanks as always, man. Yeah, take care. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.